This is Strange Assembly, episode 113, Sophia Regina. You're going to be that narcissistic about it? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I am going to be that narcissistic about it. When Benjamin was born, he got an episode titled Benjamin Rex. Now that Sophia has been born, she gets an episode titled Sophia Regina. I do like that name a lot. The episode title or just Sophia? No, Sophia Regina. Well, I think that's a really good name. Okay, that's not actually her name. I was oh. say, Sophia Regina sounds like something out of a like kid's book. It actually doesn't sound bad, but no, because, well, Rex means king and Regina right. is queen. So well, okay. her name is actually Sophia Margaret, and Benjamin's name is not Benjamin Rex, it's Benjamin Philip. But, you should you should fix that. Okay. I think there's a mistake in both of those. Make sure you have give them an superior a Caesar complex. Well then, uh, three. <laughs> contrary to what you you might guess from listening to the last minute or so, this is Strange Assembly, a tabletop gaming podcast. I am Chris Stevenson, and the two yahoos that I have here with me are Mike Cook. Yep. And Jay Earl. Hey. And this is going to be a general gaming episode, which means that poor Sophia's episode will not be listened to if all of the L5R players just switched over to the L5R only feed that we just introduced. Sad face. But I'm sure all you guys stayed around, right? L5R players, you're still all here? No? Okay. Where's Trevor to make cricket sounds? (laughs) He's somewhere in Seattle being on the design team. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, uh, so today we've got five new games on in the queue for you, and I'm actually going to lead it off by uh, having said that we're a tabletop gaming podcast. I'm actually going to talk about something that I think is pretty cool that is a digital card game. And it's not Hex. We've had enough Hex. I'm sure we'll have Hex again, but that even haven't, hasn't even opened Alpha yet. So instead, I'm going to talk about Card Hunter, which I think is a really nifty idea. The game itself is uh, it's a fantasy setting. It is a card-based tactical grid game where you have a little character and you play cards from your hand and you you have moves and you have attacks and you have some various special things and... You go through the game, and but the game is, thematically, the game is supposed to be you playing D&D, essentially. I, you know, you've got all of these little mock-ups that when you go into the screen, it's the single-player levels are like you playing against a, a game master, and the, the, the you've got modules and little story bits in there. That So that's nifty. But what I think is, is really cool is that each of your characters has equipment slots and you start with some equipment and when you win adventures you can get more equipment and of course you can you know get treasure and sell it and buy equipment but with the equipment on your character defines what is in their deck so if your guy has nothing like i'm a warrior but i don't have any particular weapon then my deck might just have three weak bash cards in it and then if i put a sword in now i might have you know, generic sword might have a a stab attack and a slash attack and then weak slash or, or something like that. And so then when you get a fancy axe, it could have 
devastating chop and then a normal chop and so you've you know you have to pick what you want for different scenarios but i i just think that the concept of of having the the card game deck be built by what you're equipping onto the character is really neat uh and i know you've played it mike what do you think yeah well and going even further uh, from what you're saying when you get a more powerful uh card a lot of times they will have trade-offs like a great axe tends to be fairly slow so you'll have a couple cards because you'll have like six cards attached with each piece of equipment you'll have a couple cards that are just straight up better than a regular axe then you'll also have one or two cards that are actually very weak or actually detrimental to your deck that you have to play when you draw them so, like, armor will make you slower, etc., etc. So th- that's how they kind of counterbalance a lot of the equipment. I've been playing it since beta, and I've made a good bit of progress through. I haven't played it since it released just because it reset everything. But, I mean, of course it's going to because that was coming from a beta. But I, I had a-, a lot of fun with it. I was addicted for a, le- uh, for a very good weekend of it. Yeah, and, and it is a free-to-play. I have not sprung and bought for it it seems like they're shooting for a 25 dollar buy-in if you you know go to the not just free to play but you can do a, a pretty good amount with the the free to play it's you can only complete a particular adventure which is two to four modules the little battles once per day but that actually works out because then it prevents you from just playing over and over again you know go do something else so, but I like that. Yeah, they're at cardhunter.com. I mean, if you like something like Summoner Wars or or something like that, I I think it's really worth checking out as a as a free to play. Okay, then now something that came out at Gen Con, which will be the theme for the next several games, was that has two different versions of High Command. Actually, why don't you talk about those, Mike? Yeah. So you had uh, High Command, just basically for War Machine and for Hordes. War Machine, I believe, came out last week or the week before. So it came out, I think, like the last week in September. And Hordes, I don't know when exactly it's coming out. But it's basically just variations on the same thing. It's just four more different factions, really. It's an unusual take on a deck-building game. It's a combination of a deck-building game and a, I guess, kind of an area control game. It's something like Smash Up, where you have locations in the middle that you're fighting over. But it's got the deck-building goal of getting the most victory points in your deck or your scoring area. One of the main mechanics is that if you are playing, say, Signar, one of the factions, you get a deck that is specifically just Signar. And not only that, you can actually you choose three Warcasters, which are like the big heroes of the game universe. And using those uh, Warcasters, it lets you build your deck from, I think it's eight different sections of colored cards. Six, but... Oh, six, okay, yeah. And you get three of them, and you mix those together, randomly shuffle, and those are you deal them out, and those are your available cards that are only available to you, and then you have a basic deck that's, I believe, the same for each of the factions. And then you just, you buy the cards out of your pool, and they have two costs. They have a cost where you put them in the discard pile, and they eventually cycle back like a normal like a normal deck builder, or you can actually rush them, which is you pay more to immediately put them into play. And the way that you capture a location is if at the start of the turn you have two more characters there than anybody else, you capture that location. So it's a, it's a fairly easy system to do scoring with. Yeah, it, it's got a, a sort of odd hybrid of, of 
deck building Dominion style in the meaning of the word deck building, and then also actually pre-game deck building. Although I'm guessing the more advanced versions of that will not really start to come into play until there are expansions or all right, yeah, you have a an ascension style row of cards out of your private deck that you can buy, and then when you capture a location, something that's I think supposed to help throttle you back is that when you capture a location, the units that you used to capture the location are removed from the game. Basically, you have a they call it the occupying forces pile, but yeah, you you get three stacks out of six, and then theoretically. They're they're set up so that you can actually customize those the three detachments that you get to use. Although I haven't seen anybody actually play that yet, and I haven't had the the chance to to play that. Jay and I have played a two player, and I've, we've also played a four player. It seemed better with more players because two player is just I mean we're just hammering each other back and forth. I, Right, there's there's no chance to catch your breath at all. It's just you hammer him, hammer back, hammer, 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 or you just fall behind. It, yeah, and especially in two-player, I mean, in two-player, I only ever purchased a unit, which is taking it out of your your row and putting it into your deck. I only did that if I just could not afford anything else. Or if it's the first two turns of the game. Well, yeah, the first two turns when you when you have to. But the, well, the, it tended to be the first two turns. I would I'm aiming for more resource cards. But then I want to rush because it'll it'll be something like if you rush, you have to pay more. But the right. guy goes directly into play and fights now. The problem with purchasing is it's sort of like even if you have a guy who's got a real extreme swing, like some of them, it'll be. Three to purchase and five to rush, and or five to purchase and seven to rush. But then some of them will be five to purchase, ten to rush. So there's a really big difference. But even for those guys with a big difference, it's ten to rush now, or it's five to purchase now, and then five to deploy later. Except really, it's more than five to deploy later because I have six cards in my hand and the resources are coming out of my hand. But now, I'm also not getting to use the resource of whatever the card is in my hand that I'm deploying. So... Yeah, well, when I, when I played it, I played it two-player, and I saw a couple of problems that I had with it. I haven't had enough to know if this is just you know a long thing or if it was just what I had built. But I had real problems resource matching, and I thought I built like a nice mix of cards, but I guess not. And then we also... Uh, so the resource system... I, I always had the wrong resource at, the, at uh, the wrong time. I could never seem to consolidate it. And then I played Signar, and my friend played Kador, and the Kador cards just seemed straight up better. And that wasn't just me saying that. Like we looked at them together, and Signar just for some reason seemed significantly worse. Maybe I, you know, I just didn't understand how they were supposed to work. But the Kador ones just came out and smashed things. It feels like a lot of times he wants kind of like a rush deck, but the, the rush units aren't that cheap. So, yeah, I mean, I, I like the game, but there there were a couple of problems that I had with it. Uh, was the, is K- K- Kador is... Mike is the oh. only one who knows War Machines. Kador is the Russians and Signar is right. the U.S.? Yeah. Yes. The, the zombies, whatever they're called, Cricks? Cricks. Something like that? They Cricks. seem to be the rushiest. Yes, Or at least they have are. the possibility. Yeah, you... I, I think... 
I didn't look through them, but it felt like all of the detachments, or at least most of the detachments, tended to have a mix of both kinds of resource requirements. So I'm not sure how much you can actually hose yourself by... I don't know if it was just completely bad luck. Like I said, I only really got to play yeah. it a couple times, and it was a two-player, so I, I want to play it more. It's not like it completely turned me off of the game. Um, I definitely want to try different factions. No, yeah, I, I enjoyed playing it. It wasn't amazing, but I liked playing it. I actually... the the thing that pecks me the most, which I, I commented on, I think we were talking about uh, when we were talking about L5R before, because it reminded me of one of the rules changes that they're doing for Ivory Edition, is that because, yeah, you have two different resources, but also there's no like resource pool. If you want to buy a card that costs five, you have to discard cards from your hand to generate the resources until you've paid for it. And then if there's any excess, you just lose it. So you spend a lot of time on your turn kind of sitting there and... And the other thing that that compounds on that is that you actually have each card produce... There's two different resources. Each card produces both resources, potentially. Some have zero, but each card produces both resources, so then you're doubled because you can only use one or the other, so you have to sit there and figure out how you're going to combine them, which makes it even worse. And because of how the game works, you and needing to react to other players, you really can't do much of that on other people's turns. You can kind of think about it a little bit, but... Not not only interacting with other players, but also just because your buy area is Ascension-style, you could just flip something that will cha- completely change your buy. So there's only so much planning you can necessarily be doing at any one time. But I think we all did... Not anything we're going to be piling as a 10, but I think we all enjoyed playing it, and it... It's certainly adding new and different things to deck building in a in a good way. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I, I liked a lot of the things it did. One of my favorite aspects of the game is that every time that you have to reshuffle your deck like you normally do in a deck building game, that's when you actually get to go through and remove a card uh, if you want to. I think that's a really good way of making sure that you're streamlining a deck and that everybody's doing it at the same speed. Because a lot of games, experienced deck builders know that that's the absolute best way to make your... To basically to win, because if you can thin your deck and nobody else can or uh, nobody else knows to do that, you will just decimate whoever's not doing mm. it unless, unless the luck just doesn't fall your way. Yeah, just just remove whatever your 1-1. One, one. If you if you sit down and you play high command, remove your 1-1 one, one resource. They're terrible. Yeah. Mm. The, the two zeros are... Everything at the start of your deck is either a 1-1 one, one or a 2-0. One, ones are terrible. Okay, so that was high command... I guess I could look it up and double check, but I'm assuming that that's Privateer. Yes, it's Privateer Press. <laughs> it's, 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 it's War Machine. And Hordes. And Hordes, and Hordes, War yeah. Hordes. I have not played the Hordes version yet, I but right, you said it's basically just different factions, different cards, same rule set? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, the one thing that you guys don't have any way to scale, they did do overall a very good, they did a very good job of getting the feel of the cards right. Overall, I, I like each of the factions. Like when we played at Kador, it felt like Kador. They were big and scary. Uh, Signar uh, felt like Signar because it was kind of rangy, and I had a whole bunch of support units. Not that they really were that effective, but it did feel like Signar. And looking through the Hordes factions, they all look like they convey the spirits or the feel of their army pretty well as well. Okay. Let's see. Next up, we have the Pathfinder Adventure card game. Now, we won't go 
too in-depth on the uh, how to play this because Mike did that back in our Gen Con review episode uh, a little bit ago. But it is, as you can tell by the name, it is set in the universe of the Pathfinder role-playing game. So it's uh, your fantasy, sorcerers, wizards, clerics, fighters, that sort of thing. And it is a card game where, in a different way from Card Hunter, <laughs> again, your character is a deck. And over the course of a, a campaign, you get to keep this one. This deck is your character, and you've got a little character card, and you can acquire new cards for your deck during the course of an adventure, or you might lose them. And then that's a permanent change in your deck. And you also might, if you beat scenarios, your character gets to level up, and you can tick off a little box on your card or I liked how you did it, Mike. Put it on a sleeve and then write it and then tick it off on the sleeve. In the rulebook, they were like, use a pencil. I'm like, F you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's never going to happen. We're not actually writing on the cards. <laughs> so that's the, the meta part of it. And, and you do, I guess, well, before we, I, I move on from that, and each character starts with a, a defined kind of deck. Like, if you're the fighter, your deck will have exactly six, at the start, you know, exactly six weapons, no spells, three pieces of armor. If you're the cleric, you have lots of blessings. If you're the wizard, you have lots of spells, lots of arcane spells specifically. And that is also something you can improve because your deck is also your life points, your deck is hit points, your hand is also hit points, so tougher characters actually have smaller hands because... You can never get damaged for more than what you have in your hand. So if you're a wizard with a six-card hand and you get clobbered in a fight, you can take six points of damage. So even And then when you take damage, you have to draw back up to that. So even though you've got the same size deck as the fighter, you die faster because your hand is, is bigger. Right. Three, three wipes takes you out of the game instead of four or five for the fighter. Yeah, uh, and then playing the game itself, you have a little set of locations out. You have a character token. Under each of the locations are going to be some combination of monsters and boons, positive things that you can run into, and then one tougher monster, either a, either a henchman or a villain. And and essentially, you you move to a location, you explore it, you reveal one card. If it's a monster, you have to try to defeat it. If it's a, a barrier or a trap or something, you have to try to defeat it effectively. If it's a helpful card, you try to acquire it, and the way that you do that is rolling a d4, a d6, a d8, a d10, and what you roll depends on, again, it's on the little character sheet card that you have. If you're a rogue, you roll big dice for stealth checks and dexterity checks. If you're a wizard, you roll well for intelligence, you know, what you would expect the characters to do. Right, instead of having like a plus four, you roll a d12. Yeah, yeah. And there are, what, in the base set, there are maybe eight or so characters, Mike, and they've already got one expansion pack? Yeah, I mean, and I don't see any reason you wouldn't buy the expansion pack, the 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 character add-on pack, so... Yeah, it's going to be releasing these things, they're what, they're 15 bucks, you have little character add-on packs, and they're going to be releasing more adventure paths? I want to say they're 20, but I might be wrong, it might be 15, and the adventure paths are going to be every two months. Okay. So it's it's kind of LCG-ish. I have to say, I guess the to some ways the structure of this, like Card Hunter for me, the structure is kind of the most exciting thing. I think it would be really cool to p- 
play the Pathfinder Adventure card game with a group of friends. You can play it solo, but I think a lo- like most games, it loses a lot when it's not social. And you have a group of people, and you go through the different adventures, and you improve your characters. The downside, though, is that right you have to get the same group of people together repeatedly, or else just make a one big marathon day of it, maybe. And at some point in there, I, you know, I've still got Rise of the Rune Lords sitting unplayed on my shelf. (laughs) I could actually just play Pathfinder. Well, I mean, it depends on what, I mean, it goes a lot faster than Pathfinder typically, especially once you know what you're doing and what you're looking for. Having played it by myself, I'm like halfway through the first expansion pack, or through the first, because they give you a base character set, and then you actually get the first part of the adventure path that actually comes in the base set. They just give it to you like it would be sold on a on the shelf because the box has space for all of them and uh, you mix in the cards as you unlock each section so it has big areas so you can put in more and more cards as you buy them and there's a place in the box to store everything so i, I really typically like the the storage of of the game having played it by myself it's actually it just depends on what character you're doing it with. Like, I did it with the Rogue, and she feels really good. It feels like a decent challenge. I, I keep winning, but I win by the skin of my teeth. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was just as fun as when I played with friends, but I don't think... Like, you're not going to play a bard that way. The, the bard's just going to die. The the thief has uh, has very specific reason. Like, she wants to be alone anyways, even if you're playing with people. Yeah, and you can you can play the game solo, but with more than one character. So I've seen it. I know you said, my, yeah, the, the thief has mechanical reasons that she functions well by herself, but I've seen it suggested that other than the thief, it's unbelievably difficult if you're yeah. just doing it with one character because you're probably going to have some variety of skill checks that are required. And if you're just a fighter, like, you're going to run into things you just have a difficult time getting through. Actually, I think if you're only one character, it is possible to run into things that you cannot get through. Well, yeah. um, I don't think that's true, or at least for, not for the rogue, because you, the other thing is you... Well, one of the things the rose can do is she can escape anything, so that puts it at the bottom of the deck. So that's part of the reason that she can get through anything. It, it, it's been a while, but this is how I remember it. Uh, the other thing is, because she's a rogue, all of her skill checks are typically pretty good, unless they're like wisdom. I mean, most of the wisdom stuff I don't have to care that much about, or blessings are very general, they just add a die to whatever. So you can, normally you just kind of have to supercharge whatever role is going to be difficult for you. Yeah. I mean, yes, some characters can be run solo, but like, when the two of us were playing, I was playing as the wizard, and yeah, there were things that I just had no way of dealing with. It needs an 8, and I'm rolling a 6. Yeah, oh no, not well, going to happen. Sorry, I should say specifically, I think the rogue is the only person that can. I mean, I think maybe a warrior could, but they'd have a much, much harder time. And there, yeah, there are characters like the bard that just can't. Like, they'll get the skill checks like the rogue does, but they can't do combat like the rogue does. Right. Yeah. So, but I, again, that's definitely a really, it's a really interesting concept. And yeah, the box is, is huge and vast <laughs> and empty inside, so you can add more stuff in. <laughs> Right. That thing is going to be a pain when it's filled up. That's the only thing. It's going to be so heavy. It's already decently heavy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but, I mean, I, I thought it was a really fun game. I'd love to play some more of it. We we just did a solo game, and so I felt missing some amount of the depth of Lovely character because I mean, there was a whole lot of, well, I just picked this thing up, but I don't have a use for it now. Oh, well. 
Yeah, because I gotta say, yeah, if if that was gonna be a character you were continuing over, when my warrior explores the location, finds a barrier that is a treasure chest, and then basically just takes a a mace and smashes it open, and a bunch of weapons come out. It's like, ooh, two magic weapons and, the, and a glaive. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, if you, I mean, that's great for in this one game. But if if that was a these permanently get to improve your deck. You'd just be sort of like jackpot and dancing around the room. <laughs> yeah, well, but it's also possible to lose that weapon, so you have to be careful. Well, yeah, and you can die. You're on a timer the whole time uh, as well. I think you get 30 turns, and you get 30 turns no matter how many characters there are. So it's not like it gets out of hand when you have more characters, it gets really, really easy. It's just that one character doesn't have the versatility that even just two would. Okay, so that was the Pathfinder Adventure Card Game from Paizo and designed by uh, Mike Selenker. Next, we're going to go over to Jay for another Gen Con special that we've talked about a little bit before, but now we've got some more perspective. So the Firefly board game that I picked up at Gen Con has been a great bit of fun. I think my review last week, right? Two weeks ago, last week. As we are recording this, it is October 1st. That review went up on, went live on September 30th. Okay. I finished writing it last week, so. Probably. But so, yeah, I think I expressed most of my views there, but I mean, basically, it's a really fun game if you like Firefly. Because if you like Firefly, you get into it, you have a lot of fun, you're flying a ship around the verse, you recognize all these things that are going on. Whereas if you have no idea what's going on, it's a weird shipping game that has some weird mechanics to it. Yeah, I like the mechanic of whenever you want to get something, they call it considering. So if you're trying to pick up a job, you get to consider it. And if you're buying stuff, you go and consider things, and it's basically... Right, you get to pick three, either three out of the di- right. between some combination of out of the discard pile or the top of the deck, and then you typically yeah, you look at three, choose two to either buy or accept or whatever. Or no, I guess that's for buying. It's look at three, choose two for for the jobs. You can take as many as you want, but you've got a, a hand size, so you have to discard down generally. The the this thing with the game is you've got a whole bunch of really unique, really clever mechanics that add a whole lot of nice flavor to the game, but if you're not familiar with Firefly, again, I feel like it's the f- is a minus. Yeah, it was kind of odd. Yeah, I read your review, and it's I felt like you liked the game a little bit more than I did, although that maybe that's because I'm just a generally, you know, unpleasant negative that's person, mistake. you know. Uh, well, yes, we've met you. <laughs> but I, when I read your review, you seemed to find more flaws in it. I mean, the two, because... You know, like, you seem to just generally like less the randomness of, oh, I show up and misbehave. Because one of the, you can, you start out doing basic pick up and deliver, and then as your crew gets better, then you can do missions that require you to misbehave, which, again, probably like, why is it called that if you don't know that there's this line in Firefly about I aim to misbehave? Right. I mean, generally my problem with it was you have this misbehaving thing, which pretty much every game I've played in, you pretty much have to go into. Yes. Either because of the mission or just for the best money. And the problem was the average difficulty of those missions was such that to have a good chance at success, you needed to build up a very large mission team 
with a lot of upgrades. But once you'd done that, there really wasn't much... Uh, challenge. Challenge, yes. I mean, it was, oh, look, the combat check is 7. I have a plus 8 bonus. I don't even need to bother with this die over here. Uh, yeah, th- theoretically, there could be some stage of the game where you know, you go in and you risk misbehaving when you aren't sure that you can do it, but it seemed like as a practical matter, you could make more than enough money right at the beginning doing pickup and deliver stuff, just normal shipping missions, and so just strategically, it was a bad idea to go at the misbehaving deck until you could just own it. Right, because I think really the problem was the consequences for failure in the misbehaved deck were too high, that if you went, you misbehaved, and you failed, I mean, you'd be losing crew, you'd be losing jobs, you'd be getting huge financial penalties, and that just wasn't worth... I mean, if you did one failed misbehave in mid-game, you probably lost at that point. At least to me, even though, I mean, that at least feels somewhat like Firefly, and so does the other one. The Reaver's attack is the one that I really had a problem with, because it's just like, oh, well, there's unless you have one card, there's basically no way out of this, and you just lose so much, uh, and it sets you back so much. And because everything except for the really generic people go away from the game, leave the game yeah. whenever you whenever they die, uh, there's a potential that, you know, if you have enough players, there may just not even be enough people left for you to get this basic skill. I've played the game up to five player, and I've never had problems with characters running out. The problem I have with the characters is the power level discrepancy, where the named characters are just better than the nameless mooks, that why bother with the nameless mooks, you know? Yeah, we've definitely... The underlying mechanic itself is okay, but yeah, the, the variation in card power produced some weirdness. You know, you'll be at Persephone or something, be like, okay, I know, and never mind if I'm naming the wrong people, but like, I know Simon is in this deck, and I know that he's crazy, or I know, oh, I'm at the spaceport, and I know, I know, you know, Shepard Book is here, so, I, yeah, I'm just gonna dig for these guys, and especially the crew, because the, the crew, their extra cost is not relevant. The characters basically cost very little up front, and then you have to pay them every time you use them for a mission. So, right at the beginning of the game, $100, $200, $300, that's how much characters cost. Except for some of the named crew who are free. Well, that's just River and Book. Well, yes, yes, it's just River and Book. But still, they're more than worth it. Normally, right, if you have a... If you're taking one action to buy a card, and you only get six crew slots, a character who's got three times as much stuff has to cost like five or six or seven times as much to make up for that and instead they don't they just cost you know it's 100 for one symbol 200 for two symbols 300 for three symbols and those characters will have the three symbols and they'll have a special ability so not only are they just under costed generally but the fact that your extra cost for crew is paid out over time means that there's no need to ramp up to the good characters. You just 
I mean, you, you literally, we see things that, you know, you, you try to go somewhere, and I've seen you, Jay, do stuff like, like, you get two actions a turn, and on your first turn, you're like, go shopping, and you can't take the same action twice, so you just sit there and do nothing, effectively, for your yeah. second turn, or you work and get $200 or whatever it is, so that on your next turn, you can just go shopping again, because I don't need this piece of garbage random person or that ship component that doesn't matter. I need... Kaylee to show up. I need Vera, the Jane's sniper rifle to show up. You know, I need the awesome card. And it's fine to have cards that are better than other cards, but they just don't cost enough to to adequately compensate for that. But on the other hand, I don't have a problem with how nasty the Reavers are. The Alliance, if you're a wanted ship, the Alliance cruiser can just crush you too. They don't hit you all that much and I don't know. I'm I'm okay. I'm okay with with that randomness. Th- there should be randomness I- I- in games. Well, no. Well, I mean, I'm okay with randomness. Randomness was not my problem. My problem is if you get hit with one card, it, you know, it may not even be reavers because there's already another reaver mechanic where you can get hit by reavers anyways. It's getting hit in the middle of the game of a two-hour game and then getting you know significantly knocked back. The big thing in order to to not get destroyed by the reavers you have to have a mechanic and a pilot so you can pull it and a fuel so you can pull a crazy ivan and that just lets you automatically dodge the reavers so well yeah but not in the misbehaving deck in the misbehaving deck you need you need uh what's your name river don't you yes like the river's the only answer or like your entire crew gets slaughtered is that the one that you auto fail if you don't have river yes yeah. okay well yeah but you can you can pass that in ways that don't hurt you, because I had that game where I ran, it was hilarious, like it was, I ran into it, and every time you run into that, you reshuffle the misbehaving deck, and I ran into it, and then, like, we reshuffled, and I did it again the next turn, and I ran into it again, out of the entire deck, but I didn't lose anybody for running into it, I just, you can pass the check, but, I mean, yeah, the, the misbehaving, that's why, like Jay was saying, you... You don't go into the misbehaving deck until you just beat it. You've got like at least five of every icon or, or something like that because there's no, it's not enough an incentive. Not because you you make more money from the more dangerous missions where you misbehave, but not as much more as you'd think. They have bigger payouts, but you have to have so much crew. Whereas for the pick up and deliver, you can do it without crew or with like only one crew member. So you don't get as much money, but you only got to pay one guy. Whereas with misbehaving, you're like you want to be like my entire crew of six people is coming because I don't know what icons I'm gonna need, so I'm just gonna have to pay them all. I don't know. But again, we all I don't know. Well, maybe you didn't, Mike, but I know Jay and I enjoyed playing the deck. Of course, we the game. Although of course we both like Firefly, so that probably helped. I, I like Firefly, and I generally I mean I generally liked it. It's just it's a little bit long to me, and it's a little bit bitty to me. Well, I don't feel like it needed as much as it had to be what it was, if that sentence makes any sense. It does have a lot of bits. There's, what, 13 different decks of cards? Yes. There's so many little things that slow you down that it it gets to be a bit of a pain. I mean, it takes enormous amounts of uh, space on the table. Like I said, I like it for what it is. There's just a lot, there's enough little things that bug me that I'm, like, not in love with it, if that makes sense. It does. I just... I'm I'm surprised that you usually I think I'm the person who is more focusing on some little things and really yeah there were just the two things that I thought were kind of 
Well, yeah, well, I guess maybe. It, but, hmm. maybe no, no, that's okay. Other... I mean, you're you're allowed to, right? You're Mike. No, you well, are allowed yeah. to have different opinions, and <laughs> I, I mean, I, you don't. You Why feel, was I not informed of this? I, no, uh, it, it feels like you're trying to apologize for you know having no, found more know. flaws in the game than I well, did. So, I did. So here's the funny thing: is I actually like the fluff enough that I don't even want to change any of the things I have problems with. But I still just don't. It's like not a game I really want to play over and over. And the the learning curve for it is fairly steep, in my opinion, because it, it takes about an hour for you to really get the hang of what you're exactly you're doing, or at least it did for me when I was playing it. Okay, that is Firefly the Game, published by Gale Force 9 and designed by Aaron Dill, John Kovaleski, and Sean Swigert. I don't think anybody's name is on the box, so I'm going to go with all three of them being listed. I don't know if one of them was the lead or something, but we'll just go with all three of them. And then the last thing for today, there's only me to talk about it, so it won't be quite as long, and that is Time and Space by Tobias Stapelfeld and published by in the U.S. by Stronghold Games. This is a game that, as a mechanic, uses hourglasses. It's a pick-up-and-deliver game. You can take two actions at a time, and the way that the actions work is that you'll have a private board that represents your ship, and then your ship will be on a main board. And you will put the hourglass on a spot on your private board, or you will put the hourglass on your ship on the main board. And when the hourglass runs out, you may pick it up and immediately take that action. And then you can take the hourglass and you put it down on another spot, and when it runs out, you can take another action. So it's a really interesting uh, thing. The the underlying mechanics aren't as distinctive, although then they can't be. You know, I don't know how much you can really add in with the game. You know, the actions that you're taking are that you're producing, I'm sure they have names, but you're producing, you know, cubes of four different colors, and you have orders to fill. So each player has a certain number of orders, and you want to generate cubes and then take them to a player who can meet those orders. And so you've got... You need to be able to generate orders. You need to be able to generate cubes. You then have to take an action to move the cubes to your cargo bay. And then once your ship has gotten to somebody else's planet, you take an action to to beam down those or transport down or whatever. The resources, you can also uh, stop at some moons and get upgraded parts for your ship. And it's an action to upgrade that. The reason you have to generate orders fulfilled is because you can't get points for it's something like oh no I'm like it's something like you can't get points for fulfilling other people's orders of a certain color unless all of yours have at least been put out onto your shipboard they don't actually have to have come by and, and filled them but you have to get them out there and I I think that was actually the the main drag on the game is that it made the end of the game very weird. You're sitting here and you pick a game length. You're playing, you know, 12 minutes or 30 minutes. I think the full game is 30 minutes. So you just go, you know, you put a timer out, put it on 30 minutes. When it dings, the game is over. Or when it dings any, any hourglass that you have out, you can take that action when the, for, for when the hourglass finishes and that's it. But it means that all of a sudden, at the end of the game, you have people just stopping everything that they're doing to try to take a bunch of actions to generate the orders and get them onto their board so they can actually get points for all the deliveries that they've done. And so 
I don't know, it gets to this thing where you get to the end of the game and all of a sudden you're playing completely differently. And if you don't realize with enough time left that you have to switch into this weird mode, then everything that you did before can kind of not matter. But I do think the mechanic with the hourglasses was pretty nifty. And you cannot have analysis paralysis. The game is 30 minutes. It is real time. If somebody sits there and is just brain freezing and doesn't know what to do, it only hurts them and it doesn't make anybody else wait. Hooray! <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Even if I'm the player doing the... Yeah, I was about to say, how, how badly did you lose? I think I won the first game and I got second in the second game because you you can't, right? You you cannot do it. And you, you actually have time, right? The, 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 hour, the, the hourglass is like a 30-second timer. So it's not like you don't have time to think about your actions. But uh, look, if... If we're going to say that I'm prone to AP, which you slanderously seem to be implying there, Jay, then, I mean, great for great for the game for not letting me do that, then. Great for the game for making me just pick an action. Anyhow, that was Time and Space from Stronghold Games and designed by Tobias Stapelfeld. Okay. I think that that's all that we have for this episode, unless you gentlemen had some parting thoughts. I have thoughts. Not only do they have to be thoughts, but they have to be parting thoughts. Well, apparently they've already parted. All right, then. (laughs) Goodbye. I've messed that up horribly. Yes, you did. Let's not (laughs) sing anymore. So, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I am Chris Stevenson. You've been listening to Strange Assembly. If you visit the Strange Assembly website at strangeassembly.com, you can subscribe either to our full feed and get all the glory that is Strange Assembly, or you can subscribe to just the general gaming feed to get uh, board and card gaming episodes like this one. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes, and you can check out written reviews at BoardGameGeek or at strangeassembly.com. If you like what you hear, please let us know. If you don't like what you hear, please let us know in a hopefully semi-constructive fashion. You can uh, do that at our website, or you can email me at chris at strangeassembly.com, or you can check in with us at, at strangeassembly on Twitter or, or facebook.com slash strangeassembly. We look forward to hearing from you, uh, and until then, never stop gaming. Beep.